Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, only on Netflix. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Tell me just one or two, whatever comes to mind, yeah. of the sort of worst gigs, because these are always such good stories. Well, there's some pretty, um, I always, this is a classic example of, you know, Long Island, you know, there's the Northeast, I call the Northeast Corridor, you know, Boston to Philly, there's a certain kind of, uh, some people call it, you know, the... Uh, the Acela corridor, but like for comedians, it's kind of the corridor of hate. It's like <laughs> the commerce of comedy is kind of like, you know, a rough and tumble, blue collar yeah. kind of. And I go on stage when I was starting, you know, in Brooklyn. They're like, "Who is John Tesh doing stand up now?" <laughs> Being so white bread, but um, and so there's some tough, uh, tough rooms. And even even after I had kind of. I remember one time I was headlining in Long Island at uh, Governor's, which is now run by uh, a fantastic guy, uh, John Trusen, who's a who's a comic who knows the world. And um, but Governor's can be rough and tumble. Long Island can be rough and tumble, especially and, years ago. Yeah, and so I was up there and I was headlining, and I got on stage, and you know, being from the Midwest, um, you know, and late show on a Friday night, you never Worst. know what you're going to get. Worst. So I get on stage, I start getting some laughs, and with every laugh, there would be a moo, moo. And I'm like, all right, you know, hey, I'm the Midwestern guy, they're mooing me. And I didn't necessarily understand it, so, understand it. so I did some, <laughs> some responses. And usually you can get, once you get the audience on sure. your side, sure. the heckler will stop. Mm -hmm. and, but it continued on, moo, moo. And so finally, you know, I couldn't see the guy. So finally, I get off stage and I'm like, "Where is this guy?" Because the audience isn't even necessarily on my side. I'm right. not. I'm not the type of comic that's going to get off stage. And so I get off stage and I go back and kind of, you know, as far as I could see, and I saw a guy who was severely handicapped. Oh God! With like a keyboard and kind of like a thing, and how he communicated was moo. So I was criticizing this guy. Over my entire show. The audience knew that he was... And the audience knew. And, and I was like, and I just announced, I go, I'm just going to go kill myself now. <laughs> and so the audience, once they realized that I was unaware that right. he was severely handicapped, they kind of forgave me. But The all-important thing. Yeah, that's, that's always, you know, one of the, the gems that sticks out in your mind where you're like, if you can't see the person, that might be yeah. how they respond. All right, question one. You're, that's not bad. Your favorite animal to hate. Camels. God damn them. I Sneaky, foul smelling water hoarders. <laughs> I promised you Ham would bring the funny, and now it's here. Question two Which is worse, mimes or clowns? Mimes. Yes. Ding! <laughs> 
beer wine or beer wine? <laughs> yes, uh, everybody's favorite beer, beer wine. wine. <laughs> Number four, place to vacation other than Greece. Hawaii. Nice. Any particular island? Hawaii. Ah. Any particular hotel? No. <laughs> House. <laughs> Toothpaste brand. We're going to end on a weak Ooh. one. Yeah. Uh, anything that stands uh, stands on its end there. I like that. I think that's a, a very important... The platform bottom? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, finally, they came up with a better way to do toothpaste. Why do I have to squeeze? Why do I, not only why do I have to squeeze, but you do, gravity does the work. No. You don't have to shake it down to the bottom. You right. just, boop, there it goes. You get a nice, uh, fresh squeeze right at the top. I like that a lot. Don't have to roll anything up. I like that a lot. Uh, John Grisham or John Keats? That comes from Martha S., at Martha S. Neither. Nice! That's your answer. And I'll say neither. I won't say neither. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> I always thought neither was a little like potato. Um, crunchy or smooth? Crunchy. Nice. Theater with an E-R or an R-E? <laughs> this is where I'm going to show my pretension. Do it. Do it. Commit! He commits. Favorite curse word. No, that's the other guy's show. <laughs> Lipton. Yeah. yeah. See, I always wanted to be on that show just so I could say, <clears throat> Kevin, when, when he says, when you, when you get to heaven and the Lord greets you or whatever, what do you want him to say? I want the Lord to say, sorry about that Lipton thing. I was having a bad day. I just kind of shit that one out. By the time I was in fourth grade, I wrote down, that, what do you want to do? What do you want to be? I said I wanted to be a, a comedian and make 100000 a year. So that was in 1965. <laughs> yeah. I was off by a couple of zeros. <laughs> yeah. He didn't know what mortgages would be. That seemed like a lot. Um, yeah, so definitely secret fantasy my whole life. But it wasn't like you. I wouldn't, you know, I, I was terribly introverted, terribly shy, and then all of a sudden extroverted. And so I never took theater in high school. Me neither. I signed up one day, went in, and I was terrified. But the, I had these moments. I don't know if you had these little moments that really stuck with you. And one was in high school, spontaneously asked me to come up and speak about the cross-country team in the gym with 300 people there, kind of nervous. And, and because the coach was late or something, hey, will you say something about the sophomore cross-country team? So I went up to the podium, and I got a lot, a lot of laughs. But and did they ask you because they thought you'd be funny? I don't think so. I think just because I was one of the runners. Right. And this guy goes, uh, this other guy, I kind of respected a really good runner, he goes, hey, I didn't know you had the gift of gab, you know. But it just came out up there. Right. And I thought, whoa, you know. And then, then I made the mistake of saying that to Rob Becker. We had a folk festival. We went to the oh. same high school together. The guy who, of course, wrote and created the, yeah. uh, Defending the Cave Man. Mm -hmm. Defending the Cave Man? Yeah, 72-minute middle act. Yeah. 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 <laughs> was that 72? <laughs> yeah. But uh, he was a, a, a duo in a folk festival in high oh. school and broke a string in the middle of a song and improvised a little mm -hmm. funny moment. And off stage, I made the mistake of saying, yeah, it was pretty funny, fella. <laughs> you might want to think about it. And then that was it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I had a reel-to-reel -reel Craig reel-to-reel uh, -reel tape recorder in the late 60s that I begged my parents for. You had one of those? Yes, absolutely. And I would tape Jonathan Winters off TV and stuff like that. I would All do the classic fake thinking. interviews. Fake and interviews. now we're yeah. talking to so-and-so. Too bad we didn't go to high school Joe together. Frazier in the ring. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, and it comes. Yeah, absolutely. I did all those. I did all Lee. Did, yeah. So uh, the cross-country team, was that the first time you actually got up in front of your peers? Yeah. A room full of them? Well, in junior high, I gave a speech. To, I ran for vice, no, secretary of seventh grade class. And I also got laughs there. You know, right? I did the gag where you said, "I just want to say a few words," and I had taped together all these sheets of paper, and I rolled it down the, you know, 
and you, stuff like that. Had you, you seen did the same someone thing. do that? No, not that I know of. Well, that's the, but so so you made up this sight gag yeah. in the seventh grade that's yes. been used across the universe. I don't know. Oh my but God. I got laughs. And, I had a few things to say, and you just rolled. Yeah, roll it all. Seventy-four yeah. pages. And then I tr I got you know I I made friends with the guys who, had, who just laughed. You know, people are just easy laughers. Right. And they became my high school buddies, and a lot of them I still know. And so when they started smoking pot in junior college, and I didn't, they would get stoned, and I would go off and do 20, 30 minutes, Star Trek bits, whatever. King Bad impression. Larry King impression. Okay. Reveal something about yourself on the air as Larry doing the show, and then go to the phones. Hopefully the name of the city is somewhat funny sounding. Okay. Let me begin the transformation into Larry King. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Feel it? <laughs> Pretend like you're wearing an Ed Hardy shirt. Yeah, yeah. You just got divorced. You got, oh, you married a younger woman. Oh, third heart attack. Fourth heart attack. There you go. Go, go. You're getting it. I have a birthmark in the shape of Satan on the tip of my penis. Brown Town, Ohio. You're on. <laughs> not bad. Yeah, not bad. Let me check the meter. The meter's broken. Oh, man. Um, Paul, good luck to you. Oh, I know. Yeah, that yeah. was a tough one. That to was go. quite easy. Um, oh, man. All right. I could well, do a little palate cleanser if I, you'd like. Well, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you that one of my favorite right Larry in. King stories is uh, I remember watching him in high school, and he had Paul Simon on, and he said to Paul Simon, he goes, you write these songs. You write these songs all the time. Have you ever written a song for someone else to sing? And he goes, oh, yeah, Art Garfunkel. <laughs> and he goes... Who's that? <laughs> no, no. That's true. No. That is a true. That's a true story. That is a true CNN moment. That is fantastic. And he stayed on the air another seven. <laughs> yeah, years. the best thing. Up. What I love about CNN. CNN has now embraced Twitter so much, yeah. like to their own chagrin. Like, because like during the whole Iran election thing. People were furious that, that CNN wasn't covering it. Yes. So they would go, like, let's go to the Twitter board. And they'd be like, hey, CNN, you assholes, why aren't <laughs> yeah. you covering the thing? And they'd be like, that's all, man, these guys, the internet, man, they're full of <laughs> Yeah, they right. didn't really get it. Yeah. Let me see if I can do my Larry King. I will not, uh, I will not embody him as much as you did. Well, I mean, you, I, feel, I was yeah. possessed by the spirit were, of Larry King. I was amazing. Is that what that was? Uh, Ed Hardy, uh, you know, I have to say, uh, Larry King, I, I, Rob knows of my fascination that with Ed, <laughs> with, uh, Larry King wearing Ed Hardy That's makes me laugh more than anything. I just type in Ed Hardy and Larry King and they're amazing pictures. Always in very tight jeans. With like the hat with his on kids all yeah. sideways. I used to wear Von Dutch, but now this. Uh, so, uh, how about this? Uh, uh, I was responsible for the space shuttle Challenger disaster. Duluth, you're on the line. Yeah, there's no way to actually... You did it, didn't you? <laughs> you sure yeah. did it. You know, you guys look like you had a lot of fun on this shoot. You're fun. <laughs> you had a lot of fun. <laughs> you had a lot of fun up there, didn't you? Boy, you looked like you're having fun. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if there'll be shrimp. <laughs> this is a great spread. At the party. Let's not stop talking about the reason we're here. You look good. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, the amount of smoke that's blown uh, uh, during the production is just... Means and they, and they, and do they go to school, executive school or whatever, and are, and are, and are they taught? They're, yeah. They're, they're morons. Actors and actresses are apt, and they're drunks, yes. and they're freaks, and, they, and they're insecure little babies that, that, that you just need to lie to them. From the moment you see them... You can tell them. You don't even have to think about it too much. Tell them whatever you want. They will believe you. Yeah. As long as it includes them. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. You are a miracle. 
It's true. How did we get you? And now I don't believe any of it. It's yeah. great. No. It's still nice to hear. Like, you know, if you, you want the truth, and I told this to Kate, and it's why we became friends, uh -huh. she's the, the fabulous makeup artist here. You want the truth? Go to hair and makeup. Mm -hmm. They will absolutely cut through the shit for you. I have a couple friends who are producers that I always go to for, for honesty. Right. Like, really tell me, what, and, they, and they, they get, because they, no, they have no stake in the project whatsoever, so they're only happy to, to be as completely honest with me. Well, you're lucky, you're unbelievably fortunate, and I don't know if you're even aware of this, that you found one, let alone a couple. Found two. Because William Goldman wrote a pretty couple of great books. But yeah. In one of them, he talks about being asked by an unbelievably close friend to come see that friend's film that that, that friend directed. Mm -hmm. And feeling like it was his responsibility to tell his friend the truth. And that friend was incapable of accepting anything but praise. Right. <laughs> and so he said, just lie to him. Yeah. And so there's that mentality too, which is, how do you find people to just cut through it and tell you the truth? Obviously you found a couple. I just found a dude that just started giving it to me. Right. And he, and he prefaced every sentence with, I know this is completely unsolicited, but... And it was amazing. Yeah. It was so refreshing. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to latch on to that person. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I call him. I'm like, will you read the script for me? <laughs> will you, like, you know, will you yeah. tell me, would you do this? Yeah. And he'll give me, like, and he's crazy, so he'll write me, like, long, long emails about why I should or shouldn't do something. Oh, man. Yeah, it's great. And that's how you built the uh, comedy regime in London? Well, using that thing, if you use military tactics and, and whatever, I, I just knew I had to do something weird. I had to work out my own. No one was going to be able to say, this is what you should do as a straight transvestite who's not really a pretty, pretty transvestite, kind of a blokey transvestite, and to get America, you know, because Americans were saying, some people were saying, well, you know, they won't go for that thing with the makeup. And I had to come in at a certain level in a certain way, and I just worked out it was New York, go in and play New York to death until New York gave in. And if New York said yes, then the whole of North America, I, I, I estimated, would say, okay, we'll give you a chance. If New York, specifically New York Times, mm. said, all yeah, right. right. And that, so I just, I, I avoided the clubs, avoided trying to do a TV series, avoided trying to do a film, just played the PS122, this 80-seater, and then another year at PS122, and then went to the Westbeth. Right. Um, so three years in a row, just kept going back. Playing. But it was a strategic maneuver. Yeah, very strategic, all the time. That's the only way to, to, to get through, really. Yeah. Um, so study the Battle of Austerlitz if you want to. Yeah, yeah. Pl well, please. They're already, they better be taking notes in the other room on that. Um, I've, I've gone all over the place here, haven't I? No, no. You know what? You just answered 17, 22, <laughs> 14, and 11. Um, no, one of the things that I was getting to before I was stopped by you was that... Um, I love this ranking thing that you were voted by the uh, by your countrymen as the uh, uh, number three on the all-time greatest comedians um, of all time of, of the Britons. Yeah, and 75 in America. Well, this is what I wanted to point out that in when Comedy Central here in the states put their list together, you were 75. I, on the other hand, 67. Right. So if we follow the stonecutters theory from The Simpsons. You are in my servitude. <laughs> <laughs> Late nights or early morn? You know what? This is going to shock you. Early morn. Fuck you. I became a morning person. How and why? I... Well, how did I become what a morning happened? person? You, were you working on something? What forced you I think you I was up? working on something. Uh -huh. I think I was working on something, and... You realize I liked it. It was there's something about the stillness of it, yeah. and and kind of being alone. You mm. know, 
I, I one of my favorite things in the world is when my lady mm. is asleep in the bedroom. I see what you're saying. And I am still up. There's something that's very cozy about that, and I feel like the protector or something. You know uh, what I mean? Uh-huh. I don't know. I really like it. But uh, so I that's I I will frequently. Well, my fiance loves to sleep. She loves it more than she loves me. Mm-hmm. She makes no bones about that. <laughs> I hear a similar complaint. Oh, she can sleep at will. Mm. Um, and uh, I, so I frequently get up before her, and I kind of like it. I will, as quietly as possible, you know, make the coffee and make breakfast, and you know, I do will. Do you do it like Doug Henning? Do you? Make <laughs> I do, I do. I make it out of thin air is what I meant to imply. <laughs> right. uh, yeah, and I, I really like that. And then yeah. she comes out, and I've already had my coffee and stuff like that. So now, for a for a, a night crawler, if you mm-hmm. will, for so many many years, mm-hmm. what is your version of early morning? How early are we talking? For um, me, early would be nine o'clock. For for there was a stretch, and certainly when I was working uh, on Best Week Ever, I would get up at six every day. Oh crap! And so I would get up at six. I would have breakfast. I would go work out, and then I would go to work. And it was a nice little routine. Um, now I I probably get up around eight, but I still stay up late. I av- I get less sleep now. Yeah. I don't need as much sleep as I used to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is that's scary when you realize like oh I'm I'm becoming an old person. Yeah. <laughs> well. <laughs> That's actually what happens. <laughs> um, now, from doing Best Week Ever, which, by the way, uh, could not have been more thrilled with your work on every version of the show. Is <laughs> Thank it, you um, very much. No, Thank honestly, you. honestly. That is nice uh, to hear. Jamie turned me on to it, and, and it became uh, Thank you, uh, a, a DVR regular planned viewing that is on, based on our schedule. Um, <laughs> what is the... Uh, is there an epitaph? Is there a future? What is the... Nobody knows. There is, there, there's certainly there's threats. Well, of, no. What I, what I've heard, what we were told mm-hmm. when when uh, we went on hiatus, as it were, was that the show was coming back in 2010, in January of 2010. Um, but that was in June of uh, 2009. So that's that's a long time to be on hiatus. That's half a year. Yes, sir. So. Um, and with the with the words retooling used when you go on hiatus for that long no, of a time, no, no, we're no. gonna take a little break. No, we're just gonna take a little break. We had you move lock, stock, and barrel to New York, no, and so they, what we're gonna do now they is they made it sound like they made it sound like um, uh, just on the face of it, like we'll be back uh, in business January of 2010. But of course, we were told, you know, by our, our supervising executive, yeah, you should kind of consider it a cancellation, you know. Um, and from what, now, from what I understand, they are bringing the show back in the old format. Mm. I think as soon as next month. Oh wow! Um, which, you know, I, I was I was asked through my manager if I would be interested in participating, which uh, I didn't find that so interesting. <laughs> that that so, sounds less yeah. than interesting. There are other things that I find more interesting than that. <laughs> yes. Um, but I, I dental you know, surgery. Let's go down the list. <laughs> <laughs> it is fascinating. Right. When that's Long happening. walks in the rain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then Pat had saved a seat for me because, again, it's, there's no seat assignments. And I was like, oh. <laughs> Not about Pat, but I, just people I met who know me from TV. Do I want to go sit with them Not for really. four hours? Not really. But that girl was hot. She gorgeous. Was smoking. So I go back and sit with them. And so Lee's in the window. Pat's in the middle. And then I'm on the end. Oh, so you get to talk over Pat's so yes. to get to Lee. Oh, so we're just we're playing right That's away a sketch. And, and talking and Sir. and all that stuff. Mm. And so halfway through the flight, Pat Morgan says this, and if you knew Pat, you'd believe it. He goes, because Lee, he said, was behaving differently. She was being demure. She was being quiet. She was being engaging, but not her normal uh-huh. self, sure. like you know, giving me crap and whatever, just lightly. But we were having fun. 
And so he's like, Dave, are you attracted to my sister? Uh-oh. Because, Lee, you've met your match. Dave, I have a feeling you're going to be around for a long time. Oh, my God. Now, I'm, you know, a guy thinking, wow, I don't know, she's a great-looking girl. I hope I'm around for five minutes. <laughs> right? And we all know what I'm talking about. Anyway, um, <laughs> I reach over. He, we all know that he meant four minutes. <laughs> <laughs> That's wit, wit folks. That's uh, the brevity of language. And so I reach over and I said, what do you think, honey, or something like that? And she says to this day, she was thinking, I know he's going to be around forever because that's my husband. Oh my God. This is the guy I'm going to marry. Guys don't know. No, 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 no. Guys, no, 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 if no. they say they do, he's like, you're lying. Yeah, you're a complete liar, yeah. Uh, so it just so happened that she'd driven to the, they parked at the airport, so they gave me, off me right home. So, oh, then I moved clo uh, next to her. And at some which, point during the flight, Knucklehead gets up. Yep, and so we're talking you like this. Over. Which actually was a disadvantage because if you're know, on a plane. Yeah, now you're it, like this. Now I have to talk like that <laughs> as opposed to yeah. that. You're like, ow, this was worse. <laughs> so uh, she gives me a ride home, and I'm joking all the way. I was living up in, uh, up in the Hollywood Hills at the time with two other buddies of mine. And the whole way I'm going, oh, we're going to have dinner there, we're going to eat there. And she's thinking, yeah, I know, because we're going to get married. Oh and so uh, the next day, I think I called her. Mm -hmm. and Always was, a good move. Yeah. And we're joking around, blah, blah. And I guess the girls at work were telling her, oh, airplane's on the phone. She'd forgotten my name. <laughs> <laughs> She'd forgotten my name. Oh, that's beautiful. It was just airplane. Airplane's on the phone. <laughs> oh, that's so, beautiful. Anyway. That is uh, fantastic. We've been together ever since. Jeff Schaefer and, and Jackie Schaefer, his wife, uh, created the show. Jeff has been one of the senior guys at... Uh, been writing and directing at Curb for the last number of years. He was at Seinfeld. He and his partners, uh, um, Berger Mandel, had been running Seinfeld for the last couple of years. They, Jeff wrote on Borat and Bruno, and right. so they the pedigree, the comedy pedigree was there, it's and ridiculous. I think they attracted a certain kind of performer. They were at UCB every week. They were at you know the Del Close Marathon in New York. They just they I think Jeff having cast Curb for so long saw the people that he really liked coming from that world. So, um, you know, they sort of, we set up a meeting and, and, and you know, had a long chat about just what they were thinking, not even about the specifics. This was months before they cast the show, and so I didn't know it was about fantasy football. We were just talking about the characters, you know, and it seemed like they knew what, what was going on. And then when they cast the show, it was, um, it ended up being me and Paul Shear, who were both sort of, trained at UCB, right. um, but Steve Renazizi is a stand-up um, who, who happens to be a great um, uh, actor and improviser. As you were saying earlier, not all stand-ups have that skill. Right. Um, uh, uh, Mark Duplass, who, who with his brother have, have been sort of the, at the forefront of like the indie filmmaking world and the sort of mumblecore scene of semi-scripted movies and they write and direct them. And, and uh, John Lejoie is this like Montreal, you know, French Canadian internet sensation who's been. So we all have our own comedy backgrounds. So everyone on that show has been writing for themselves for years. So you got us all together. Um, they they create an outline for each scene, um, and then sometimes they have specific things that they want us to say, you know, lines, and they're always funny. Something to accomplish. Yeah, there's the always scene. beginning, middle, and end. But there's within that there's tons of leeways for jokes so and once they have one take with that joke then let's do a new joke they've got that you know what I mean yeah. like once he sees me on camera delivering the joke the way he wants it delivered it's like try something new on the next one why right. not have alts you right. know what I mean if you know you physically have it right and so and it was what a dream gig so fun yeah 
I have my great fear as an actor is memorizing lines. I'm not very good at it. I think it's just laziness because uh, I think I've gotten away with just being like, well, I won't have to act. I'll just make up something funny to say, like some reference to some other pop culture phenomenon. Wait Write a second. That down. Write that no, down. no, no. I'm just checking. It is laziness. <laughs> it is laziness. I can confirm. Yeah, it's laziness, yeah. And, and so it's a point of insecurity for me. But it's like fucking like once you lose your boner for a second, like you're done for it is months, like, it is years. Like, it is like right. It is like fucking. But do you know what I mean? <laughs> like once you lose your that moment of confidence, you're all of a sudden in your head, and it becomes and 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 you can't picture anybody but your mother. <laughs> what was that? He and Michael wanted to meet with us because they were starting to get involved with stuff. I think top, they were thinking about buying the Topps baseball card company. Wow. Eisner saw Topps as like a brand that we all knew and that could be sort of brought forward like, you know, Bazooka Joe, I think, was even like yeah, a character yeah. that he thought was like a, yeah, a tentpole character. So he, he bought Topps. They met with us and they said, and this is after we had then done a web series called Layers with Nick Kroll, mm -hmm. who was on your show. Um, the one where he was an agent? He played an agent who represents agents and right. we played his publicist. Right. And so the show was the most meta show ever about how we had sold a show, a web show, to Super Deluxe, which is what it was on. Right. And so it was all about how our two characters were trying to get make the show really popular so that he would then find agents because agents look for new talent on the web and so they'll see you and they'll want to be represented by it was you. the most confusingly meta situation ever <laughs> even to describe it even to describe I it, don't it know what no it was sense. but it was I passed out just a little yeah, but it was really <laughs> it was really fun and by well, the way that's the new I have a little vomit in my throat I passed out I just passed a, out just a little <laughs> just a little let that be the new one I just realized it as I said it oh that's gosh that's the new throat in out. my mouth I passed okay. out just I passed out just a little in my throat so uh <laughs> so we did so we did the players and we did and we had the cheap seats we had the sports cred they bought tops then they said come have a meeting with Michael Eisner at his house in Bel Air I was like yeah and so come on a Saturday come meet him and stop saying come come a lot <laughs> come hard come quickly and then uh, and be there and so uh, yeah just be there and let's you pitch. went and so, so when we, we talked to came. him we came and Jay and Jay's car broke. oh yeah my car this is so great uh, what this is so uh, great so, no. so we, we go to leave we, we get into we pitch this whole idea for the show we talk about our philosophy we pitch the whole thing I'm, my Prius is in his he has a Prius too He Randy like right after the meeting is like I'm gone Shh, I gotta take care of my kids it's a Saturday how am I doing a meeting? Why would anyone want to do anything on a weekend when you have kids? <laughs> so, uh, so he's like, hey. so Randy leaves. I'm left there, and my car won't start. Dead, 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 dead. We just had this great meeting. Eiser's back in his house. I'm in his driveway, fenced off. Like, I don't know how to get through the fence. It's like, it's like a fortress. I'm stuck in the fortress. I'm like... How <laughs> weird would it be if I slept here tonight? That was the fortress of solitude. Yeah, right. I was like, I could sleep in my car. I considered sleeping in my car that night uh, until the next morning when he left, and then following him out. So, but then I, you know, it was it was it was a disaster. I go, I have to go back to his house, knock on the door, and say, "Hey, great meeting ten minutes ago, huh? How about I call AAA? Call AAA. Wait at your house forty-five minutes. Sit at a guy I just met." Michael Eisner. That's a dream. It's Crazy. like a dream. It could not have yeah. been the more worst, most awkward moment. And so then um, you go back into his office, and he doesn't know how to operate his universal remote. The universal remote for to, oh, to turn on the TV in the main room. So then we go back into his office, and me. Fortunately, this other guy, Steve, was there, so it wasn't like just me and him sitting on a couch. But we sat and watched the Angels game, and actually, it was really it, it was fine. Then they came and they fixed the car. Originally, he wanted to like start working on my car to fix it. And I was like. 
If you die in my car, oh my god, I don't want to read that in Variety. No, 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 no. You know, did he not... take you at all a tour on the house? I kind of walked through the house. It was, but beautiful. you knew that there were wings that you just didn't. see. Yeah, there see. are parts that I didn't like, see. You didn't get to see Mickey in the dog crate. No, no, because no. that's that's. That, I don't think that's apocryphal. I think he really does have Mickey in a dog crate because I'd heard that. Uh, there was a dog. What did we see on on Sky? Are you Mall? serious with this? Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? Come on now. That's enough already. Give me a bone. Just, you got the platinum parachute. I can't believe I'm still in here. Coke, anything. You cocksuck. Well, no, I was going to school. I could, work, you know, bar mitzvahs generally a weekend. Sure. Um, and uh, and I just kind of kind of fell into it. Do you know what songs the kids were listening to? Oh, Can't Touch This. Uh-huh. And then Havana Gala, right? Yeah, yeah, it. really. I mean, and, and you, you learn how to build a set. <laughs> Did when you? You're, it's like... All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Here's Glenn Miller. This is for the grandparents. Right. You know, you know how to, and, and then how to appease the kids. Sure. You, know, you, learn, you, just, you learn how to read a room. And I um, can't wait to see the playlist on your iPhone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, there's some pretty. It's a, it's eclectic. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But I did this. I, I remember it was one day, and I was on the second bar mitzvah, going on about a 17-hour day. I think it felt like. Oy. And I was just losing my brains and I was out in the uh, dancing with these 13 year olds pretty much as, as it were as it were uh, and I mean I'm a, I was probably about 21 22 and um, I just lost it and just started dancing so kind of spasmodically and stupid and kind of mocking the whole thing and um, the whole the, thing being white people dancing me dancing. I see. And just being a DJ at a bar mitzvah, and I was just like, oh, I started doing all of this stuff. And the kids thought it was funny and kind of cleared the uh, the the floor. That scene happened that we've seen it, in movies and It was television. like, yeah, it was like, it, it was truly Saturday Night Fever, where everyone left. And, but and instead of you but, but instead of, yeah. Being it, choreographed, it was you being a dork. <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, it's interesting you say that because we have some Saturday tape. Night Horror. Do you really? Nope. Damn! I've never <laughs> seen tape. I, uh, they have videographers out these things. They so. must have. Yeah. Um, but uh, it, I, I remember it was a hit. I had to. I couldn't stop because when the kids clear, no, you're done. My boss got on the microphone and said, "Hey, everybody, uh, it's Donnie Dweeb." Gave you a new moniker. Gave me that coin, and it's like, if, first of all, if I chose the name. I wouldn't have gone that round. No. And then I think he might have thrown out some big sunglasses. Like, really, just, <sighs> just cheese it up even more. That's, those aren't funny. No, no. So the next week, I, uh, I had to do... I was at another bar mitzvah. And these <sighs> kids came up and said, Hey, man, are you, aren't you the guy that does the dork dance? <laughs> and I said, No, what are you talking about? <laughs> he said, Last week, you tried. at so-and-so, you did at Larry Feinberg's. At Larry Feinberg's bar mitzvah, you did this dance. And then they went up to my boss and said, We want to see the dance. We paid for the dance. And, he, and so my boss said, You got to do it, man. You got to do it. And then I... I so I went out there and I'm doing it and I, I felt like Coco from Fame, crying and like my just covering my breasts, uh, and oh, and man. and then and then the and and then it actually was the it was actually the finally the the straw that broke the camel's back because what I, it? if you if you get requested to do a bar mitzvah as opposed to just kind of like going and just randomly DJing right. You get, I, I get some extra money. Sure. And uh, so I was getting requested 
with the condition that I had to do this dance. Ugh. And um, and then finally, like I just did it. Oh, and then it just became normal. And I had a friend that came into town, mm. and uh, I remember some friends, and we were going to go out some night. Uh, we're, uh, this was in Los Angeles, and we were, we were going to the Magic Castle. Of course. Uh, so we were all in coat and tie, because you have to wear a coat and tie at the Magic Castle. Right. And uh, I said, I had been uh, asked to do a bar, a bat mitzvah. And, Finally. Uh, yes. <laughs> and, um, and I told my boss, I think a month in advance, weeks in advance, I wasn't going to be able to work this night because my friends were coming in from out of town. We were going out. And he said, look, Will you just stop by the bat mitzvah? To do the come in, do the dance. <laughs> I'll give you twenty five bucks, and then you can go to the on your way. So I said, all right. So I with my friends were in a car, oh, and they God. and I said, look, we just got to stop by the Bellage or wherever the, wherever it was. I right, remember. probably and, was the Bellage. Yeah, it probably was. And, Why do we have to stop uh, there, Paul? And they're like, I just got to do this thing for work, and they're like, all right, yeah, cool, no problem. So I I go in. We get there, we all go in. I don't even really tell them what I was doing. It wouldn't have even occurred to me, really, to tell them what I was doing. No. My boss uh, says, I'm going to introduce Paul. You guys can come in because you're all in suits. Come in like his henchmen. Oh, my God. And my friends were like, what? What's happening? Yeah, and, and also, um, we don't want to be a part of this thing. And <laughs> so anyway, they call us in, they introduce me. And, and, henchmen. Um, as, and they're my henchmen. <laughs> and... Um, uh, all of the people are sitting around. It's an empty dance floor. I take a chair out. I put a chair in the middle of this dance floor. There's a young girl sitting in it. And I essentially go on to give her a retarded laugh dance. <laughs> and people are, like kids are laughing. Other, the, the, little, the older set looks like confused as they should and would. And my friend, I remember, it's like, and then it ended. I'm like, all right. And then, and then and then I, I walk out into the lobby. There's everyone's still inside. I walk out of the lobby with my friends, uh, and I'm like, "All right, you guys, ready? We, you're ready to go." And I just remember my friend Joe looking at me, at, kind of like ashen faced, and no joke. I just said, "What the hell just happened? What the hell just happened in there?" <laughs> and I looked at him, and all of a sudden it was. I, I said. I, d I don't know. <laughs> and that was it. And then I, that was it. I didn't do it anymore. I remember Ed Asner, the way he handled his per diem was impressive. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it is the little things. Oh. When you're young and so yeah. impressionable, and you're totally. around someone with that sort of pedigree, yeah. my God. They, someone handed him the envelope of cash. Sure. I had never gotten per diem before. Right. And I got mine, which was a lot less, but he pulled his out. It was right when those new $100 bills came out with the giant Ben Franklin on sure. them. Sure. And he's just so casually just like, all right, and he's talking about something else, just fiddling with these $100 bills. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, those $100 bills mean nothing to this man. For me, that's like I want to come on those $100 bills. That's amazing. <laughs> that is so much fucking money. Um, but for him, it was... And he was, he was actually you know pretty amazing dude. Now, all these years later... Yeah. I, I beg to differ, and I, and I would ask that if, you, if this is your experience now. At some point, uh, if you're fortunate enough to get enough work, yeah. then the per diem being cash is the only money that actors ever get their greedy little hands oh, on. Oh, absolutely. The paychecks come in, they seem to go towards yeah. paying the bills, and there's a system that yeah. keeps running by. 
And you don't. Have, it's per diem is the only time that it, money actually gets yeah. dropped in your hands. And whether it's three or four hundred dollars yeah. working on a movie on location. Oh, it's great. It to this day. So yeah. I beg to differ that I believe Ed Asner was like, yeah, give me that. I can't give wait. Me the, give me those Benjamins. I can't wait to get over to Best Buy. That's what he was thinking. Because <laughs> I, I get uh, uh, if I get like three hundred and fifty dollars for per diem for seven days, mm -hmm. I spend that. Like I am a fucking pimp. <laughs> like you just you keep in your mind as you're buying something stupid, you keep thinking, oh well, per diem, it's fine. But by the time a week is out, you've spent that three hundred and fifty dollars. And then some. And then some. Yeah, that's how they get you. Why that's you how they get you. That's how those. God, that's how Hollywood gets you. <laughs> yeah. Kevin, is they give you three fifty and you end up spending a grand. Motherfucker. There's no way to get ahead. But it was like, who wants to be the snake? <laughs> We need, so to, have, we need to have. I played a cobra who was charmed out of a basket. So and then, <laughs> then they needed. I am not kidding. A gorilla, uh, you know, for Sweden. And uh, I, I, they, I literally mimed peeling a banana. They're like, wow. And then. So there are first graders who say, who were saying to their friends, "Did you get a call back?" <laughs> yes. Oh my god. Yeah, it was. And then I then I rang the bells like they do in I don't know. Yodel Land? No, uh, Switzerland, or wherever they ring bells, and so I was wearing... No, it was Germany, Lederhosen, and... Uh, uh, so I ended up getting all these little roles in this thing, and uh, my parents were like... They, I had apparently not told them or anything, and, and uh, they came to this performance, and I was in it a lot, and they were, they were like, who's this little jerk? This is the one who's always screaming about stuff to us. So uh, that was the first time I was on stage where I was like, this is... But did something is, happen when you were... Either ringing a bell or, or or peeling a banana that the the audience actually responded in such a way that something went off in your head because that's usually there's something that has to go off in there that goes holy shit, this is great where the audience thing. was like just overwhelmed with uh, whether being... they're laughing or applauding whatever they're doing they give you something that is not the norm as you walk through the... I don't think so that sets me apart so from just, a lot of performers so where just there was never a moment they're like oh, that's incredibly <laughs> average and if it wasn't a little kid I would. Yell at him for to leave the stage. Uh, so it's just the act of it. That was just the act, yeah, the act of it. And of just uh, being on stage. Yeah, I, I knew that I, I really enjoyed it. It's amazing that because your sons are now well five. I have a five and a two. Yeah, so Eddie. Eddie is and a, uh, Jewish name You'll Isaac. Nice. I talked nice. to him yesterday. That's right. <laughs> I spoke to him yesterday on the phone. Gave him the Donald Duck sneeze, which was. <laughs> One a noise they were not expecting, and Eddie <laughs> was. I was watching it because we were at a, we were at a uh, stoplight. I was just watching Eddie as it happened. He was just like <laughs> <laughs> on the speakerphone in the car. Yes, on the uh, Bluetooth. So uh -huh. he was very happy. And it was like that man made a crazy noise. He's like, yeah. <laughs> it was very good. He does a very good Donald Duck sneezing. Well, you want to do it? Please. No. No. Do it's it. Smart. It's very good on the Bluetooth. It is. It's, it's not, I, yeah, it might not be something you want to see. It really isn't. So. I've, sc I've scared children when they see me do it. If they just hear it, it's fantastic. They right. should, they yeah. should cut to Joel's camera, and then you do it, and we'll base it on his reaction. I can, do, I can react the way Eddie reacted. I'd rather have Eddie. Yeah, <laughs> we're doing, this Very is way well. too much we'll wait till Eddie's on the show. Is it true you were born at the Vatican Easter Sunday? Mm -mm. <laughs> you were born in Rome. I was born in Rome, and I was baptized at the Vatican. You can be talking to me and telling me a story. And if I'm doing this while you're talking, at some point, you're okay with it. That's right. You've actually embraced, he can still hear me. Yeah. He's actually listening to me. That's right. He just has to do this really important thing right now, and he's about to go, sorry, sorry, what? Right. I'm, 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 right, you just, you can, you can kind of stagger. 
I had a bit on my show. It was a, I had a, a product. It was a, it was a phone that has a projector, mm -hmm. so that you could shoot the text onto the person's forehead you're talking to. So while you're texting, it looks like you're, it looks like you're paying attention, but you're just reading off their forehead. <laughs> How did was, you? That was one of our bits. We we rigged up a tiny projector and we got to do it. <laughs> it was really fun. In the in the in the bit, I'm like at a party talking to a girl. I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh. I'm just going like this, just shooting a text at her forehead. <laughs> That's genius. Yeah, it was, what, what do we call it? I think it was the forehead, and I can't remember. How much fun did you have writing in sketch form? It was, because uh, it's abstract. It was pretty fun. It was, uh, that was never my ambition. Right. I just like jokes, you know? Yeah. When I started, I just wanted to do jokes. Because you've always been about work. an economy of words. Yeah. I mean, yeah. your structure is such that they're basically abstract thoughts. I think so, yeah. That are uh, structured in such a way that allow for comedic timing and perspective yeah. and point of view, but in a very thin, yeah. simple economy of words. Yeah, like, Huge part of it. Yeah, because even Gary Larson I always mentioned when I was a kid, he was another one for me where I could look at a drawing and there were no words. Some of those, like, he just puts images. They're just lines that go together. Right. And it's like a, such an interesting communication that there's a gestalt. You just look at it and then all of a sudden there's a reveal built into how your eyes scan it or something. But it's so economical rather than reading a whole comic strip. Yeah. You have to read all these word bubbles and these conversations to get to some shitty joke. Yeah. As opposed to just one panel to get to a, hopefully a good joke. <laughs> and then a big company comes in and says, we want you to develop a show for our network. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, it becomes a little uh, industry mm -hmm. of Garfunkel and Oates. Yeah. So you're not yet feeling... A any sort of uh, professional pressure? It's still sort of fun to create and be silly and... Um, are you feeling any of the... I think there's I think we pressure. are. Yeah. I, I think, yeah, I think 2011 not... has sort of been the first year of professional pressure. I don't think we felt it in really till maybe January of this year until we sold the show. Right. And then we're like, oh, we have deadlines and, and we're also sick of all of our material and want to start over and make everything new and we're like, what direction do we go in? And yeah, we feel really different as people than we did three years ago. And That's the thing, the material feels old to us. We don't way, relate know? to it as much anymore. A lot of things have changed for both of us and so... Basically, we're really good at giving hand jobs now. Just kidding. Yeah, no. <laughs> Why'd you look at me when you but... said, just kidding? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ, Kate! <laughs> No, it's all your fault, man. That That's the only reason. <laughs> Clearly, it is. You've learned nothing. That song is yeah. still truthful, yeah. but there, you know, I think we've we've yeah. come a long way in three years. Yeah, but so. it's weird though because very early on, I just I had this feeling. I was like, oh, this is going to be the thing. But I also this is, this is going to change both of our lives, and I have no evidence for this fact right. yet. Scrub thing hasn't happened. Like nothing had happened yet. I didn't know anything. And yeah, and and Kate was like, I don't really know. She was like, yeah, maybe, whatever. And I was like, I'm making us, I'm hiring this hugely professional guy to make us a website. We're getting a t-shirt. We're getting a bank account. We're doing this, we're doing, or whatever. And I was like, and Kate goes, okay. I'm like, don't worry, you'll catch up. And she was like, okay. But and I then, also have since learned that Ricky is the most intuitive person I've ever met, ever. In what so, way and what examples can you give us? Oh, gosh, I don't know. If I, like, just like, she'll just know. Like, she'll, this, this is the thing we need to do, or this is going to happen, or if we call this person, this, this is good to do this or that, or stay away from that, you know. Just very intuitive. Uh, I wish I could give you specific examples. Yeah, I know. I can't None even are even just entering my head. And what is but... Kate bringing to the party? <laughs> <laughs> Unclear. No. Other, other than a hell of a ukulele. Yeah. <laughs> no, Kate's hysterical, and she's an amazing writer. She's an amazing melody writer, and she's a great performer. The the thing that I feel like you can't really plan when you when you collaborate with someone. You never know how it's going to go, especially the first time you meet mm -hmm. up. But when we met to write those songs, because we'd known each other just you know 
game nights or mm -hmm. hanging out, going out for lunch or something. But when we met to write those songs, something we both were we on chemistry. this crazy high. Like we, we couldn't like, play for them for happened? someone soon enough. We like no, we, we called like we called people that we knew until someone answered. Sam. Well, well, no. The first person we called was my friend Wendy. She's the first person that answered. We drove to her house. She's like and in her like, pajamas. She's and like, we were like, "What do you think of this?" We, we think we're onto something. Into her house and, we and come play with for this her. She didn't know I played guitar. We're like, "Hey, okay." And it was one of those things where there's one person. She must have felt she was completely like, I don't awkward. Know what to do? And then we're like, "We have to tape these." And we went to my couch and we we recorded this them. This is this is actually. And then I stuck them on YouTube without telling her. And so I didn't know that these couch videos of us singing our songs mm -hmm. were on YouTube until I don't maybe a week later or something. Yeah. Where he's like, "By the way, those videos we made, I put them on YouTube." And I was like. Because I wanted to show them to our friends. I didn't realize that people would. And then find them. it was those videos that got us scrubs and yeah, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> this one, this one's intuitive. It turned out pretty good for yeah. for a half hour, and it's true. It was my first directing job, and I, I said, well, this is kind of interesting. This is good because at this point, you know, directing could be more interesting than acting. Um, you know, there were there was a thing about acting that I was. Uh, never, never quite got. It was a lot of hanging around and waiting and waiting and thing and mostly know. waiting. Yeah, mostly waiting. Yeah. So I thought, well, this could be interesting. At least the day will go faster. And you know, so I started focusing on, on directing after that. But uh, but that was a fun experience doing that in Toronto. You love the directing. I did. I did uh, love directing. I directed uh, a few things. Oh yes. After that. Oh yes, you did. Well, I mean, we have to go, but 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 the point is, uh, after after about four or five whatever projects, um, I then kind of realized I was doing a lot of, spending a lot of time talking to crew people about things that I had no interest at all in, like, you know, filters. What filter do you want on this thing? Well, I, what filter? I, what, what do you think? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll go for the X7. The X7. All right, well, that, that's pretty good. And then I look over and I see, you know, the cast. Just sitting in a corner, just laughing, laughing, you know, and drinks. And I'm thinking, geez, why am I not over there? <laughs> because you've got all these answers. Because I'm, you know, yeah. and I realized, okay, you know what? Maybe. Yeah. Anyway, I had this penchant, clearly, for not understanding the boundary between no. a person with two lines. So on the hot rock, I was standing around. And I think I may have actually been interested in the way they were shooting. And I actually now, I'm really near the camera. Mm -hmm. and they do. I'm just a guy in a policeman's thing. And Redford's talking with Peter Yates, and he's, he's saying, um, I think what might work for us is it, and then I'm there. <laughs> and I, <laughs> is if we go behind and then do some sort of um, reveal later, and Redford says yes, and then I'm still there. <laughs> And I say to him, that's a really nice watch. No, you sure are. I do. What are you talking about? And he says, thank you. <laughs> and Redford's wearing the same watch. And I said, that's the same watch. Redford says, yes. How and there's this moment. Yeah. And I, <laughs> then I wander off. Sure. And I went home and I thought, that was a great watch. I'm going to get that watch. And I saved up for two years and kept putting money down at this place. And I bought this watch, which I still have. I bought it. I bought that watch in 1972, uh -huh. saved up, bought it. And it was because of those two guys. And later when I knew Redford, I told him the story. And he wasn't even that interested then. <laughs> But, uh, That's a really nice watch, you said. 
to the director discussing the scene with the actor. I did. I, did. The I, I really knew my place. <laughs> Clearly, you know, I, I really understood the, the dynamic of, you know, they have... Uh, I'm just reversing it and picturing you directing on one of your movies. And having someone... And a day player saying, well, standing there. Well, this did happen. An extra came up to me. Mm -hmm. mm. And an extra came up to me. I was doing a movie called... <laughs> now I need you for everything. Attack of the 50-Foot Woman. Daryl Hannah. Daryl Daryl Hannah. <laughs> And again, now I was doing this for real, mm -hmm. not literally, but it looks, looks better when you're doing this. Right. And I said to the DP, Russell Carpenter, who won an Academy Award for uh, Titanic, actually, I said, if we, hmm? <laughs> and there's a guy standing there. He was, the st he was a stand-in. Oh, that's He beautiful. said, how much is one of those? <laughs> I said, what, what time? And I, I have a viewfinder. Right. I said, uh, I guess about $500, I don't know. So if we, <laughs> what is that? <laughs> and he said, and, and, what about, and what about that thing? I said, well, there's a light meter. I, I don't, it's not my light meter, but how much would that be? I guess it would be $1,000, I don't know. And he's writing this down. He's writing it down, and then he leaves me alone for a while. And then later in the day, huh, what? <laughs> <laughs> and da, da, da. okay, now at the end of the day, this is true. He comes up and he has this pad, and he said, "So, if I had eighteen hundred dollars, I could be a director." <laughs> no, what? <laughs> Is that his way of honestly? And it, there was—it was not meant to be funny. And I said, "Right, good." <laughs> so anyway, now we're yeah, really. He wasn't making he was a stand-in. No, the difference no. between me and you is eighteen hundred dollars. That's it. That was the—that was the deal. No. Oh, man. Sad thing, he was right. But, uh... <laughs> We've been good pals uh, for years. By the time I go in to, to improvise with her, and so I don't have a history of improvisation, but I enjoy it, um, even though I'm not as good as all those. We were talking about Cordry and Hubel and Shear, all UCB and Amy and all those guys. You can see their years of experience when they do it, when they pull things out of mm. out of thin air. Right. I like to have a, a world and a character. You know, give me Ron Swanson and I'll make stuff up all day. Right. But give me an empty room and, I, and I'll be like, uh, Hey, did you guys see my pickles? <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I'll suck really bad. But I knew I knew in this instance. Just a second. I'm sorry. I like the hey. Did you see my pickles? <laughs> okay. It's my greatest moment. Um, so in this case, I, I wasn't nervous because I knew yeah. it would be fun knowing Amy, and I knew the character. So I walk in, and uh, Mike O'Malley is sitting there. Oh boy. Who I love. He's a, such a great guy. I knew him from theater in L.A. before anything else. And he's just this really generous guy. So, A, hate him for that. He's a great guy. B, you walk in and see this, like, proven TV veteran who, uh, you know, when you walk into an audition waiting room, sometimes you're like, oh, I want to beat that person. But then there are people that Mike was this day where you're like, son of a bitch, he'd be great in this part. Right. Where you're like, God. And a network will bank on him. He's already sure. had a show. Yeah, it literally takes the wind out of the sails no, uh, so instantly. I see this great guy, Mike, sitting there. So it's just me and Mike. We we each go in and, and do our thing. And 
and I have to say, in in that room, uh, if it wasn't born in that room, it wasn't going to be born. Um, they, they gave us an improvisation where Leslie, Amy's character, wanted to uh, she wanted to take some work home with her uh, and do a bunch of three hole punching, <laughs> and she wanted to know if she could take one of the three hole punches home. And and my objective was. Uh, not only to not answer her question, but to get her out of my office. <laughs> and it went on, you know, for... Not answering the question is difficult. It is, especially with Amy, who is such a relentless <laughs> dynamo of, she'll ask you up here and then down here, you know, and then tickle you, like, she'll give you 12 different tactics in a minute. And so, you know, I'll, but that's the secret. That's the secret to getting a laugh by sitting still. Just be sitting still next to Amy next, next to a chimpanzee. Yeah, basically. <laughs> simply withstand the funny part, right? And people simply sympathize with you. <laughs> you um, are the most sympathetic yeah, comedic like, foil oh in television God. history. She's saying all kinds of stuff to Th- him. That He's monkey hilarious. is bouncing around <laughs> the telephone pole guy. Your spec, the way that you introduce yourself to people, should be very bizarre, and interesting, and notable, and worth talking about. For it example, should, uh, like like for us, we wrote "Let's Go to Prison," um, which at the time was called "You Are Going to Prison." Right, um, and it was without a doubt an NC seventeen. Uh, <laughs> Couldn't even get an R. Fine, not, not, no, no, chance uh, for subject matter. I mean, it was just insane. And but it was because we did not know any better, right. and the reason is because we just didn't know any better. But we we're like, we'll write it like it's a long sketch, which we did, and and it was very funny. And people really liked it. Everyone said, never in a million years. How many people wanted to meet with you in the various studios? Lots. Because of this great. ridiculous, unmakeable we, script. We became sort of like famous for it. Right. Um, Get those guys. Th- those are the, these are the guys who wrote that amazingly funny thing that no one will ever make. You've got to understand, people read a lot of scripts. Well, the real bosses don't read anything. Nothing. Very seldom. They won't even read a one-page stream. The bottom, no, they won't. No. They actually won't. Right. People want to hear your pitch in like a sentence. Literally. And then they'll bring in somebody else to write it, and then they'll fire them, and then they'll bring in us, and then they'll fire us, and then they'll bring in John Hamburg, and then they'll fire him, and then they'll bring in Akiva Goldsman, and then, yeah, and then it's good. Um, uh, so it's like, uh, you know, you're right. No, no one's going to read anything. It, it's, so you have to, your first thing has to stand out, has to pop like crazy. Right. I mean, write the weirdest thing you can possibly write if, you're not, if your foot's not in the door yet. Although I don't even really advise writing anything to get your foot in the door. You have to shoot something to get your foot in the door. How was it because you guys were shooting video stuff as far back as the new group? What what do you think when you guys first got out here and decided to take on the screenwriting trade? Um, we were very very naive. We didn't really know anything about it. They just uh, we were they handed us this book and said, "Can you adapt this?" They uh, the, the studio was uh, I think it was called um, uh, Beacon Pictures at the time. Yeah. And uh, how did that even happen? We just bluffed. We were lying. Did you get in that door because of the script? We we would have said, if they had said anything, anything to us, it's like, we own the rights to Meatball Sub. Mm -hmm. We'd be like, the sandwich? They're like, yeah, can you make a movie out of that? Of course we can. Of course, yes. Of course. Yeah. It's great. It's like, Ken Marino in a tank top. (laughs) It's like, fuck it. Literally, anything somebody said to us was like, hey, do you think you'll do this? Always, yes. Yeah. And I'll be honest, that's actually sort of an overarching thing for our entire career, which is, in most cases, when people ask us, can you do this? The answer is like, well, 
fucking try for sure. Right. There's very few chances where instances where we said we can't make that work. Well, the same thing occurs for the yeah. actor. Do you yeah. horseback ride? Of course. I've got a look at. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, I'm amazing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You should see me rollerblade. <laughs> well. Mm -hmm. But I, I used to say that the, the best show at a Spinal Tap concert is what the fans are putting on, you know, uh, for us. Because uh, they come, they don't come dressed, but they come with a lot of stuff. It's uh, not quite the kiss, painted faces. No, 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 no. They come huh. with funny, funny stuff. Um, and then, like? You know, you know, just... I mean, I have no idea. Signs and stuff that ha hold up, you know, props and things. Right. But also, then, there, then you see at certain concerts kids who are just like... And you think, okay, we're the loud band in town that night. Yeah, you know? and then, <laughs> literally. Yeah, just that. You know, so it's that combination. Wow. Uh, that you get to watch. You know, it's it's uh, for the really huge shows. I think the truth is that about the first two thousand people are real, and the rest is a backdrop that Warner sent over. You right. Know? Yeah. So there's nothing real about them. You know. And the one time, uh, I think I talked to Michael about this on the show. It was the Beacon Theater where you. It was the one time that, you, that the audience was not informed that the opening act was, was the Folksman. The Folksman. Yeah, that. And I said, "Really, New York? That's the that's the crowd you don't want to tell. <laughs> <laughs> you want to set yourself up for that kind of pain." Well, we told them once at the at, at the Carnegie Hall. Yes. And it worked out okay, so we thought. Or as Derek calls it. Uh, Carnegie fucking hole. Um, <laughs> Carnegie fucking hole. <laughs> Carnegie fucking hole. Um, and it wasn't really our decision not to tell them. It was the management's decision, which they just failed to inform them. They uh, forgot. That there was another Let's act. To be the honest. Film. Yeah, and um, I'm sure Michael told you this, but it, it's like that that moment where you think you're making fun of something, i.e. the improper or the inappropriate opening act, and uh, how silly is this, and then you find out you really are, and you can't break characters and say, no, no, no. <laughs> It's us, the ones you love. Stop booing us. You want us to leave so that you can see, you can see us. us. Yeah. I know, really wonderfully absurd. Uh, crazy thing to do, though. Uh, oh, truly crazy now, thing to do. Now, I, I think we all thought that we were the first people in history to come out as two different bands on the same gig. It turns out. Turns out, one other time this has happened. Do you know the answer? I, it was part of the research on Michael, and now I, of course, forgotten. There was the guy who did uh, Convoy, the big CB radio hit in the 1970s, C.W. McCall, mm -hmm. not his real name. He was an advertising guy. Uh, wow. And then in the mid-'80s, he became a, a totally different band, which has very successful Christmas records called Mannheim Steamroller. Oh, wow. And he went out and opened for Mannheim Steamroller as C.W. McCall. And that, I guess did okay. Yeah. I get, nobody booed him. No, they sure didn't. <laughs> uh, and and the, just the aspect of freedom, creatively oh and comedically, yeah. seems to be so heightened and so ridiculously fun. Um, but I've also said that being asked to be in a Friends web series is the new jury duty <laughs> here in Los Angeles. So what was what was the feeling like for you when this came across your particular plate? Well, he sent us ten scripts. And I don't think I've laughed that hard and that consistently reading scripts, except for the Well and Grace scripts ever. Wow. I mean, they were, but in a whole different way. Sure. Because it's much more meta, you know, than, than Well and Grace. Um, I could not have been any more excited about it. 
just absolutely beside myself. And then it was all really quick. We shot three ten, days, ten episodes in three days. Yeah, I couldn't believe that. I mean, they I read shot that. well. They shot in six days, but Nick and I both shot all of our stuff in three days. And right. it was crazy heat wave, and we were shooting in an old, dirty, abandoned hospital, which was a hundred like twenty-five degrees inside, and. Um, but it was just, it was still super fun. I didn't know any of those people really then. Like, I hadn't really met. I had worked with Ken Marino, mm -hmm. and that was it. And I didn't know Rob Hubel. I didn't know Lake. I didn't know Aaron. I didn't know uh, any of those guys. So, Ridiculous talent Yeah. on that show. Oh, my God. And now Henry Winkler. He wasn't there from the beginning, was he? No, right. he came in when we started it for television right. on Adult Swim. Yeah, and... Uh, it's such a fun show to shoot. It's such a great group of people, and I, I just kind of think they're all geniuses in their own way. And No kind of about it. And when it yeah. made the uh, transition from the interwebs to the television... Never uh, thought that would happen. Workload change? Same. Same amount of, you know, really? it's just... No, it's, 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 it's still, you know, we shoot an episode every two days. We, sh we, we shoot the whole season in seven weeks, and they shoot it at December, January, so everybody somehow magically is available. Which is crazy. They, nobody can believe that everybody's been available each time to right. do this because these are a lot of people, you know, they're all in great demand, all those actors. So, um, yeah, it's just really fun and it doesn't feel like we're really doing an actual show right. ever. It seems like no one will ever see this but us. So, when you're on somebody else's baby in television, as you well know, a writer's medium, my rights here finally. You come in as a director. Yeah. What's that like for you? Totally different thing. Uh, really fun for me because it's just such a completely different thing. I, it's, it's really just directing and trying to uh, serve the voice of the creator of the show, Liz Merriweather in this case, and the cast and the thing that's already been set up and continue a continuum but maybe just lend your own ideas and creativity to, to a certain degree to it. But for me, it's, uh, I don't think the thing I want to do is my main thing if I'm so lucky to keep doing my own thing. Right, but it was really a fun. I don't do this very often. It was a really fun experience too. Well, because as actors, we're yeah. gun for hires ninety percent of the time. Right. So, uh, and when I occasionally get to be an actor, I enjoy that very much for the same reason. Because I'm like, I'll just do my part, mm -hmm. and everyone else can worry about the whole, and I don't have to. I'm so used to having to worry about everything, and it's fun to have to worry about your job. Yeah. Um, party down. Party Down was another example of a, a show that I was just a huge fan of and loved watching. And then that was such a trip for me because then to walk on set and be the director of an episode. I mean, being a director of any TV show is an odd thing because you are at once the least experienced person in that world. You're the new guy on the block and you're also in charge mm. to, in some way. Yeah. And so it's like, nice to meet you all. I don't know your names. I don't know your characters. Now I'm in charge. Now here's what you're supposed to do. <laughs> and sit there and you do this and action. And so it's a very interesting dynamic. But it's... Uh, How many did it take before you got comfortable? Because that is a bizarre circumstance to be in. I can't even think of whether I've done it more than those two that you mentioned. Really? Uh, St. Elsewhere? St. Elsewhere, I did a couple, I did a few Marcus Welby's. So on The Daily Show and Strangers with Candy, were you just a writer? What were you? The Daily Show, I was on in the early Craig Kilborn era, before ah. they even knew what The Daily Show was. And I was doing fictional little, uh, you know, correspondent pieces called the Maplewood Minute, about, you know, like Hollywood Minute gossip pieces about some small town, about how somebody stole a penny from the take Well, that must jar. have been fun. It was a blast. Yeah. 
Uh, and then and when I was... Uh, Strange with Candy. Strange with Candy, I was, yeah, just a writer. It was a staff writer on that show. and um, That I, could have been your lot. You could have become absolutely. a television writer. And might have enjoyed it. But, uh, I, but I, I tend to enjoy, for me, I gravitate towards things I can be in charge of, however small they may be. It's just my personality. Tell me about uh, your short film, Cheating, because I think that might have been... Uh... That was the first, So what I did was I, well, I had these jokes, and some people were coming, but I was like, it was before people were making a lot of short films. I was like, if I make a short film and it gets viral, um, my hope is that people come... I'll put my website name in the lower right-hand corner. I always try to think of it as like a business. As like a, if, if I put my name in the lower right-hand corner... A video corner, calling card. Yeah, it's exactly what it is. And the way that I thought about it, it's perfect. What you said is it's my resume. Right. Like nobody can see what I do, but... On this website, I'm going to have writing of mine. I'm going to have the short films I do. I'm going to have right. these jokes that I do. So if you've never heard about me, hopefully, and this is when no, like, what no year video. is this? this? Sam, what year was it? Because everyone do? now is doing that, right? But they weren't doing it five, six, seven, eight years ago, right? So I bet it's a year and a, a year before you did it is when I probably started all that stuff. Probably 2004, or five, 2004. Yeah, or that's five. crazy ahead of the curve. So it was like it was like. Um, it was YouTube was starting to it was starting to but the good thing is if you had a funny short film not a lot of people were doing it so people would watch it and not all the cats had been on that's exactly correct cats <laughs> didn't understand that all they have to do is play in the toilet bowl that's and they're it. the most popular things right. in the world that is the, that's what we have to film yeah cats in a casting office I think that's yeah. what it is that's huge come on that's really funny by the way <laughs> right that's great yeah that's all. I'll give you 22 episodes <laughs> I'll give you 22 episodes right now <laughs> Just, Hulu's already on board I think right cats walking around <laughs> but when come I did on, it Kenny that's the 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 secret the the weirdest thing is I did that short film and it got a couple thousand hits which is for me huge at the time but someone stole it took my name off it they edited it out they took a recording of my QuickTime video this is gonna get nerdy Crap. and they edited it so you couldn't see rejectedjokes.com so my name wasn't on it anymore and they put it under their name on two different websites and on those websites they got six million hits each. But I didn't, I'm in it, obviously, and I wrote it, but they took out the part that says written by Ben Schwartz, and they took out the part that says rejected jokes. Jesus. So not, my name isn't on it, yet it got millions of hits. In my head, though, it's like, if he didn't do that, 10 million people wouldn't have seen it. Yeah. But at the other end, no, like, it, it, the idea of doing it was to make people come back to my site. I Did he build in his own name written by No, him? he just, he just, he, he uploaded under his name. Sure. It was a Scottish guy, or it had a Scottish, you I had, remember his icon always, because I was like so pissed. <laughs> then I went to one of the websites, and I was like, this is mine, and they go, oh, I don't think so, and I was like, I linked them to my video, which was like month, you know, a month before his, and they're like, oh, okay, um, you, you can make money off this by the amount of views you get. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? I was like, was he making money? And they're like, oh, we can't, I don't think so, but we, you can start making money now, and I was like, well, nobody else, <laughs> all the people that are on the internet have already seen You've it. You've already got the six million. Right, so like, I didn't, so I I didn't make any money. One website never let me retain it. Um, they said, no, it's that guy's. I was like, all right. Because nobody cares. You know what I mean? Yeah. They don't care. And then the other well, It was website. really the Wild West eight years ago, too. Yeah. Boy, oh, boy. Okay, so I'm in New York, and I'd, it took me about six or seven years to find TV and film representation. It was very while difficult. While in New York. While in New York. It was very difficult to find that kind of representation because when they saw you as a commercial actor they didn't see you anything beyond that right. and so it was really tough to find the representation and then finally I got someone to introduce me to a manager and I started working with them and with them is where the um, audition for Arrested Development came along and you know while you were in New York? while I was in New York oh right and you, um, you know, when you get, when you kind of read for things in New York and you're sending yourself on tape, you don't have a lot of expectation that it's going to do anything. You know, you just kind of, I was kind of excited about the experience to go out for something other sure. than commercials. And so you just kind of forgot about it. Even in the back of my head, I was like, oh, this would be fantastic. And so, um, but I just got engaged, so we were kind of in 
wedding planning mode. And then, you know, I fl they flew me out to L.A., and that alone was like, what? what you Did they fly, fly you out for a callback? For a callback. Oh, my. And the whole time you're just like, what? Like, like this, this is possible? nuts. And I, 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 I was trying to get my head around that, like, what's happening here? And then trying to keep your anxiety at a decent level, you know, because yeah. you're in your you're shitty. Because you want to share that information, but everyone you share it with immediately starts acting like you have the job. <laughs> exactly. You're yeah. flying to California, well, you got the job. Exactly. I mean, my family's like, they're paying you? They're flying you? Oh, my God. You know, so I, I you know, it was hard to kind of keep expectations low. And also, I loved the project, you know just the idea and so I was just kind of trying to keep cool and had they sent you just scenes or the whole script they had just sent me and I think I I think I read the script I think they sent out the script um, and Ron Howard obviously was associated with it and yeah so you know I was really excited but trying to keep my expectation at bay and went in for the call and as you guys know when you go in for network you know there's a, just this group of big wigs that you're doing your stuff for and the worst and you have to kind of think globally and be like, this doesn't matter, this is meaningless, you right. know, <laughs> just trying to not give it too much hype. Right. You know, all these people are going to die, we're going to die. <laughs> just trying, <laughs> trying to have a really existential this thinking. This is all going to end in death. <laughs> death, death. So I'm not going to get nervous about it. Right. <laughs> you know, whatever. Um, but anyway. The universe is expanding. Exactly. It's fine. It's fine. this big. You know, it's like no big deal. Um, so I auditioned and then booked the pilot, which was nuts. Now, Nuts. did you find out about, about that before you went back home? No, I f they kept me out there to, for the callbacks because there was like a there was a network read and then there was a studio read and then there was you know then you whether you booked it or not. Um, and so I, I was staying at this hotel and I think I want I checked in at my hotel twice I think because they didn't know if they wanted me, so I didn't know if I was going home. So that was its own emotional roller coaster. Mm. And then I and I guess they thought I looked like Jeffrey Tambor. <laughs> like, well, we hired Jeffrey, so this makes this makes sense. <laughs> Got to have um, one of the kids look like him. <laughs> so, um, so then I booked it, and we shot the pilot. And the whole time, I was just kind of like, "Is this happening? This is nuts! It's nuts!" You know, and that was like Mr. Show. Definitely, we were David and I could feel what was right. I mean, we made a few things that were weak on that show for sure, and I can tell you what they are. Uh, clumsy but, waiter? But, but, we talking yes, about clumsy, clumsy waiter? <laughs> clumsy waiter. The one where I wanted it was a sketch. I wanted to put a timer in the bottom so that you knew when the sketch ended. And no one would agree. That's what I gave in on that argument. I shouldn't have. It would be so much fun to watch that sketch with the timer going. Take Time till end of sketch. Uh, yeah, so are but you, you... But Jay look, so I honestly, I went to, these mo to make these movies and, you know... God, I don't know. So I get personal. Look, my dad was kind of an asshole. <laughs> he had a reputation. It's weird because we asshole. have him, we have him on in the chat room. Ah, uh, yeah, I don't think so. Uh, <laughs> no, his bones are, <laughs> are rattling. Yeah. Uh, and I, after Mr. Show, and I knew I'd been kind of a tyrant in the editing room, and even I, kind of a jerk about my opinion and what was right, and. And I thought, you know, I really like to be a team player a little bit. And I really think I made those features that I made trying to be a team player. And I honestly, if there was a passage and there's more than one that I didn't like, but if one of the other people in the brain trust, the producers or whatever, said, I love that, that's my favorite, I had left, left it in. Because right. I thought, you know, if they like it, well, good, let's shoot it well. 
But I just think, I think that maybe some people can do that. I don't think I can do it. And the only other thing I would say is you can be right and you don't have to be a dick about it. And I think maybe that's where I was like overcompensating for having a, a reputation as a, as a difficult person was like, you, maybe I was just kind of a jackass about my opinion and about delivering it, about saying it. You know, there's a difference between... But did you have to raise your voice over a din of, of conversation? No, everybody would listen to me, but I would, you know, you can be a jerk about telling someone they're wrong. That's not the joke. No. Do you fucking get it? The joke. You know what I mean? Uh, I did The Daily Show for a year and a half after UCB. 2001, 2002. Very good. Just saying. Uh, during 9-11, first correspondent to fly after 9-11, this guy. Uh-huh. Pretty brave soldier. And then... Uh, wow. <laughs> they literally offered it and nobody wanted to fly. And I said, I would go. Yeah. I was, you know. Um, and then uh, by that point... I had done, I wasn't going to do SNL, I think I was too old at that point, um, and I didn't want to write for Letterman or Conan, so there was only opportunities, the only opportunities were in L.A. Yeah. So, that's when I moved to L.A. And how, I mean, you'd already had trips out, and you knew, he had friends out here, yeah. and it wasn't so bizarre, was it? No, and I, actually, after The Daily Show, I did, like, two years where I booked a bunch of commercials and would just do seven auditions right. in like two hours and then smoke a lot of pot. I had two years of that. Right. And then I quit that and moved to L.A. Uh-huh. Yeah, because it was so easy and it was not very challenging. The smoking the pot? Yeah, it's just like you could, if, like if you lived on the Warner lot, you could walk out and hit five auditions. Where I lived, there was like ten casting agencies, so you could knock out ten auditions in two hours. It was incredible. And they'd, so they'd line up around the block to say no. <laughs> is what you're saying. But commercials are the easy, if for some reason you're in vogue, you work a lot. For no other reason than like, oh, that's the guy. Like literally right. five seconds into the room, he looks pretty average. That's the guy. And for some reason, when I hit the commercial world. You look like worked, America? I did or something. Or I was non-offensive or I looked like a lot of other people perhaps. You did not look too Jewish. I probably didn't look too Jewish. Yeah, trust yeah. me, that was a problem for some of us. Yeah. And then I had one... Um, you also usually have a gaggle of... Yeah, I'll have people. Two, two other people usually, so if someone doesn't show up, it's not the hugest deal. All right. Um, I, I did do one recently with Ed Helms where he got the hour wrong, so he was going to show up an hour later, and that threw the whole show into a weird... The, the thing about my show is it's very improvisational. It's completely. We never plan... I used to plan it way more out at the beginning, but now we don't plan anything, so we don't know what anyone is going to talk about. So what you get is what you get a lot of times. We're always surprised at the end of it, like, oh, so that's what happened that day. Mm -hmm. So there is a show of the Ed Helms one because he rushed to come in earlier. But the and it was you and the other person? It was me and the other person, and the other person was going to be the character guest. My show has, uh, it's usually a real person and one or two fake people. Right. So the fake person became the real person, nice. and Ed came in, and we were like, we already have a real person. you got to be a fake person. And he wasn't prepared for that, so nope. he just tried to improv a fake person. And it, it's an interesting experiment. And, right. But, um, the, yeah, it's, it's, it's always terrible. The booking part of these shows, as you know, is just awful. But how great is it to never deal with an agent, manager, or publicist? See, I, that's the joy for me. Yeah. It's, I mean, but I'm still getting them for... Uh, 
for the live show for this Tuesday because the benefit is you well, know, yes, a, a of big, course. So I'm getting a lot of like, hey, you know, this person from UTA wants to come. Yeah. Well, it's a benefit and it's sold out. You know, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> yeah. You know, but yeah, I, it's it's. I mean, just in terms of booking guests. Booking guests, yeah. So well, you know, the thing about the publicist too is they never tell the person um, what the show is like. So the person always shows up. Uh, not knowing what the tone of the show is, not knowing what they're supposed to do. And, and nothing then, better for you, yeah. who's designed this wonderful playroom, to have someone come in and go, wait a minute, what's happening? What yeah. the fuck? Why is he talking in a stupid voice? Yeah, and that's, it's, there, that's the best thing for improv. There's one show in particular where that really backfired. Really? I don't want to say the person's name. No, but, I'll find it. But they got very upset during the show. And I think fans of the show may know, may be able to know what show it is. I actually lifted out whole chunks of the show. Well, I know that there was something written about the um, one of the episodes that I love mm -hmm. with um, someone who's agreed to do this show. We met at Dimitri's wedding. We love him. Oh, um, McGroover. Yes. Oh, Will, Will Forte. Forte. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so there was something written about Will Forte, like Will. I'm not sure Will was told what the show was before he arrived. Yeah, he wasn't. He, he, right. It's one thing to work in the vacuum that you guys do. Right. Writing the shows in the vacuum, shooting the shows in the mm -hmm. vacuum, even smaller vacuum for editing and post. Yes. But to be out in front of your fans, and it's not Comic Con where you've had, I'm sure, amazingly fun times getting to, to touch and see the fans, as it were. <laughs> But this is, uh, you get to be creative, silly, and goofy in front of a sold-out, packed yeah. auditorium. It's like the it's like the Rocky Horror Picture Show. I mean, you've got people singing this. See, there were moments that you can't even, we had to pause and stop because you couldn't, you couldn't hear anything. We couldn't hear anything. <laughs> um, and that is just the, the greatest feeling in the world as a performer to experience that kind of love and devotion for something that you've created and worked so hard on. Yeah, and not to be underplayed, it also uh, as, a, as a, a creative and personal experience, because there's one thing for agents, managers, as, and lawyers, oh my, to tell you what numbers are. We're getting, this is the number we're getting, we're very happy, we've improved to this number, DVD sales are up to this number, downloads are this number, and you're hearing all these numbers and everyone's saying, this is great. We're doing, this, people like us. The audience is growing. This is fantastic. We've got a thing. It's, it's, it's kind of like as, right. how long we, as we want to do it kind of thing. This is wholly different. To stand in front of uh, a fan base in different cities, allow them to gather and celebrate it themselves yeah. that you're fucking there. The whole experience. As a, as a couple of guys being goofy in a room, these plateaus, these various moments in time, this is a huge one. Yeah, it's very gratifying. Because, I mean, I'm a fan of people and things, you know, so I know how it is to be really excited to see something live or to... Like or, today, this. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's the correct answer. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
This is Tony Rodriguez. This is Carlos Santos. This is Riza Licea. And this is Oscar Montoya. When our powers combine, we are Spanish Aquí Presents. We have a brand new podcast here on Earwolf, bringing you the best of the best of lo mejor of the Latinx comedy. Join us every Tuesday as we chat about what's going on in our lives, Latinx culture, and ¿qué es lo que? Lo que nos está picando. Lo que te pica. Don't worry, we'll tell you what that means if you listen. We'll also be joined by a new guest every single week. We'll get to know a little bit more about their lives. Every single week. Uh-huh. And then we'll make them sit back and watch us improvise their lives right back to them. Improvisation. <laughs> Spanish Aki Presents premieres July 16th. Subscribe now in Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Or donde sea. Spanish Aki Presents. Emmy Award winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in LA a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific time, only on Netflix. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.